welcome to our first actual episode. Daniel, how are you feeling? I'm feeling uh, just as good as Dr. Phil with the mullet. Dr. Phil with the mullet. And muscles. Is that another one? (laughs) Uh, So you guys can't see it, but Daniel is a master at Photoshop. He has a picture of Dr. Phil with a mullet on a bodybuilder's body. It's actually the rock's body. Oh, the rock's body. That's even better. Yeah. He looks pretty good. I don't know. I I agree. Uh, it might haunt me in my nightmares tonight that might be the main thing i'm so unimpressed with in this episode so we're also planning on doing some movie reviews yes we love movie reviews so we want to go to all the new movies that are coming out and give a review yes and say whether or not we are actually impressed we're gonna be very heavy critics we're gonna try to because we love absolutely everything so yeah, we're we're planning on going to the new horror movies and I'm really them. excited for the Pray for the Devil. Really excited to go see that one. Yeah, that one m- might be cool. Also Orphan. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about first that. Kill. Yeah, Orphan for, First Kill. That one's already out actually. Oh really? Yeah, I think it's on Hulu or something. Oh, okay. I, I don't that know. That would make sense if Hulu did an original yeah, movie on it. I think it's a Hulu original, so... <laughs> that, that explains a lot. That explains a lot. A lot. Um. We did not like the first Orphan. We did not. We, we did not find it amusing at all. I mean, uh, uh, Lorraine was in it from The Conjuring. That, that was true. She, she was, was in it, so that was cool. And then cool. the freaking husband, like normal, husbands never believe the wives or anyone when something starts happening. Yeah. Uh, but it was based on a true story, right? Yeah. It, it was loosely based. It was loosely based on a true, on a true story. story. But someone with um like some sort of genetic disease yeah. that made them really short and made them look like a child was actually like 30. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they got adopted out. Yes. As like a 34-year-old yes. and they just didn't even know because or the parents didn't yeah, even the know. Parents didn't she know. just looked so young. Because she would run away and then go to a different foster home. I don't think she murdered people in real life. In real life, life I don't think so. Yeah, she was just. I mean, I guess I could cover that on an episode. That might be a good idea. That yeah, might be a good Because I case honestly follow. don't know much about the true story yeah. of that. Ooh, and I got some things to to. Now that we we just talked about that, <laughs> I got some things to talk about you got in the some next things? episode. Yeah, good, yeah, yeah. Good. Today. We are going to be discussing a case. Um, that would you I like to out. tell me what that case is? So this is the case of. So his name is Daniel. Oh. <laughs> um, and that makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> but his last name is Laplante, I think, if I'm saying it correctly. And I'm just gonna refer to him as that. But it's the case of his crimes as the leader of the daniel community we reject this daniel and we do not accept him as one of our own so just make sure that you understand that none of what he does reflects on us that's very true this daniel has been outcasted and if it helps in some articles he is referred to as danny for the most part most daniels only go to prison once and i'm assuming this guy um has been in there in and out probably i guess you'll have to wait and see maybe murdered a few people i I guess you'll have to wait and see what happens 
Uh, us Daniels are a bit more civilized, and we make sure our kill count is only one. Only we one. We don't exceed one. We only kill one person in our life. So have you done your kill count yet is the main question, and should I be worried? Anyways, can you tell us about the case? Okay, let's I think start, I should be worried. Okay. Let's start with the case, yeah. So as you know, I'm talking about Daniel LaPlante. 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 Something like that. Um, La Plante. It takes place in Townsend, Massachusetts. Before getting too far in, I would like to start with the story of 15-year-old Annie and 9-year-old Jessica. Uh, Annie and Jessica. Yes. Okay. And then their fa- father, Brian. Okay. Real quick, for some sources, they have the name of this family as Tina, Karen, and their father, Frank. Okay. But in most articles, they are referred to Annie and Jessica. Okay. So that's what I'm going to refer to them as. All right. Uh, They had recently lost their mother to cancer. Oh? Uh, Yes, very sad. It doesn't specify what type of cancer, but it was very recent, and they were now being raised by their newly single father. That's not a good start. No, it's not. One night in 1986, Annie and Jessica were reliving stories of their mom. It was here that they decided to have a seance. A seance. A seance. Really? Yes. Why? 15-year-old Nat. 15-year-old Annie. 9-year-old Jessica. What was the thinking? What do you think? So, they weren't expecting anything of it to okay. begin with. But, like, why? Why but would they do it if they weren't expecting something They were of it? bored. They were bored? And they wanted to try to contact their mother. So, they were expecting something out of it. So, in the articles that we... They've read, like, they've given details, too. Yeah. They were going into it with, like, a very open mind, and they're like, we're just gonna do this, because we're bored. They're very young still, 15 and 9. They don't really know. And for their seance, they actually, what they did is they just lit candles in the basement. Held hand. Oh, no, lit. Lit. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Not licked. I would be concerned. I would, too. But they lit candles, held hands, and sang songs. And this was their seance. That is kind of creepy, but I mean, if it has, it was like, like wholesome intent. Yeah, it's a wholesome intent. It was like childhood, like childhood songs. Yeah. Obviously, this wasn't a very serious seance. Okay. Yeah. It was mostly a distraction from the pain that of losing their mother. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And then obviously there were no reports of anything happening during the seance. Okay. Yeah. So nothing happened in the so seance. So nothing happened. That's nice. However. H- however. That very same evening after the seance, the girls heard a rhythmic knocking on their wall as okay. they slept. So they woke up to knocking on their wall. That's not fun. Not fun. Personally, my nightmare. <laughs> I would not be impressed. <laughs> so they woke up believing that their seance had worked. And that their mother was knocking. That their mother was knocking. On the door. On the wall. And they began to ask the spirit questions, to which the spirit would reply via knocks on the wall. Over time, it grew to the point that it wasn't just knocks anymore. Objects in the house were starting to disappear. Okay. They would come home to find furniture moved around the rooms. Okay. I can't relate to that one. I can't either. I can relate to things disappearing. Me too. That happens quite a bit. I think to everyone. This one time, I spent an hour trying to find my keys in the morning. When I had just placed them down. 
to go, like, drink something, and then they just disappeared. You know, one time, I came home from work, and I had my earbud in my ear. Yeah. Because I was finishing, like, listening to a podcast episode mm-hmm. or something, and I went into my room, and I was laying there, and I realized, hey, my earbud case is still in my bag by the front doorway. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take it out of my ear, and I'm going to put it in my drawer. It's going to be with my phone and my glasses, so when I wake up in the morning, I'll grab it, and I'll put it in my case. Yeah. In the morning, I forgot to grab it. Oh. But I made it to work, and it was in the case. It was in the case? It was in the case. What the heck? Both earbuds were in the case, and I remember taking it out and putting it in the drawer. I asked my husband, Marcus, if he put it in there. He's like, I didn't even know it was in your drawer. Maybe we have a really kind poltergeist in the house. Maybe. You know, uh, our roommate in the next room over, she thinks that someone's living in our attic and eating our food. Okay, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, so either it's a really friendly ghost or a really friendly guy living in an attic. By the way, we haven't looked in the attic. I refuse to look in my attic. How long have you lived here? Like nine months. months. Nine months? Nine months. Haven't looked in the attic yet. Absolutely not. Okay, but the thing (laughs) is, is I didn't know that we had an attic until like three months ago. I'm kind of curious what's up there, though. I am... You can go up there. Yeah, but I don't want to be, like, alone. I'll be down here <laughs> with 911 on the phone. Can you be holding the ladder? I will potentially <laughs> hold the ladder. Potentially. Potentially. I'll take that. Okay, good. I'll just peek up, and if I see a man, I'll let you know. You know, if I think that if there is a man living up there, it's been nine months. He's friendly. Yeah, I shouldn't right. be concerned. Right. There's nothing moving around in my house Except or going for missing. And keys. That's true. But like, that's that was very friendly for me. Maybe he I was thought just I lost borrowing them to you know like li- listen to his beats, and then he was like, "All right, I gotta put Maybe these back." Maybe he was going in the case into the future to listen to this episode. Oh yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, that yeah. was. That kind of blows my mind. So. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't really want to think about that too much. Okay. We don't have to. We can move on. Okay, we can move on. Items would be on the table, and then they would leave the room, or would leave the house, and they would come back with those papers or those items thrown into different rooms. Oh, really? Not carefully put, like, thrown in a big mess. Oh, so this is a mean ghost. Yes. And they started to believe that it wasn't a spirit of their mother they had invited in, but that of a demon. That's always a good thing to come to understand. Yeah. You know, when I have a seance, the number one thing that I would love to come to terms with is that I've invited a demon to my house. That's such good news to hear do you think that you could wait until you move into a different home to do the seance and invite a demon in would you join me absolutely not what you you're telling me you don't want to do a seance i will do a seance if there's someone there that actually knows what they're doing you do not know what you're doing (laughs) i could do research on how to do it and then i could like Take, like, a course or something, you know? Okay. That's if you just become, as much training as they will Yes, have. if you do that, then I will. Okay. But not in this home. That's good enough for me. Okay. That sounds like an affirmative. Deal. Uh, sorry, guys. Moving sorry. on. <laughs> we'll, we'll get better, we promise. So they started to believe that it was a demon. Their father, Brian, had no idea about their seance. 
had no idea about any of the things going on because the knocking only happened in the nighttime. Okay. Or when he wasn't home. Yeah. So they went to their father and explained that they had had a seance and that these things were happening. Okay. So that's why the things around the house were moving and things were getting taken. But Brian did not believe his daughters. Right. Instead, he assumes that his daughters were the ones moving all the furniture and throwing everything everywhere while they were trying to come to terms with their mother's death. He did not believe that they invited a demon into their home. And he refused to believe that demons, ghosts, or anything like that could be real. So he contributed everything that was happening to the grief of them losing their mother. And so they were acting out. So a classic horror movie dad. Dad. Exactly. In real life. So we actually see someone who acts just like the parents do that we get mad at in horror movies in real life. So now we know that that's actually, like, a viable reaction. It is, apparently. Yeah. Apparently, I, don't, I know when I have kids, if my kid says anything, I am believing them instantly, A. I'm like, I, you saw a monster? We're moving. Yeah, like, if I was in a horror movie... <laughs> Continue. <laughs> if I was the parent and I knew I was in a horror movie, I would definitely believe my kids. How about if you didn't know you were in a horror movie? I didn't know, and it was in real life? Yes. It's possible that I could have just blamed it on my own kid's insanity. Okay. It's possible. It's possible. Okay. So, now you know where he's coming from. I I just don't want to say that, you know, oh, I would believe these two kids no matter what they say. I'm just terrified of something like this happening to me, so I believe them no matter what. Right, yeah, that makes sense. You're taking precautions. Yeah. You're, you're paranoid on a good level. On a crazy, insane level, yes. Yeah, right. If right. I'm willing to move my house because my daughter says that there's a monster in her closet... You're out. You're, you're moving. I'm moving. <laughs> you're I'm gone. not dealing with that. Okay, so say you had a daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And your kids come up to you, and they're like, Mom, we just had a seance yesterday. We're moving. <laughs> How fast could you move out of the house? Well, I know I'm packing the house that moment. I'm taking only the necessities. <laughs> and we're going to Grandma and Grandpa's house, kids. How how long would uh how fast would you be out there? Ten minutes, fifteen minutes? Within an hour. Within an hour? I think so. I, I think Well I think we maybe if they out. say so if they say we had a seance and now some very weird things and scary <laughs> things are happening, that's when I'm out of the house in like right. yeah. ten minutes, only yeah. grabbing the kids. We can buy new <laughs> stuff. We're out. What w- would you ground the kids for having a seance behind your back? Honestly, I don't think so, because, no? like, when I was little, I wanted to do stupid crap like that yeah. all the time, and I had never had the guts. Okay. So, so like, respect, but, would like... Would you hypothetically kick me out if I just had to say <laughs> Okay, hypothetically, you are old enough to know <laughs> what not and not to do. Yeah. Um... I would not kick you out because you're family. Okay, that's good to But know. please, that being said, please do not have a seance in my house. I will or will not, maybe, depends on how I feel at the moment. Because I let my, I let my now 
emotions control my behavior. I, I'm a very spontaneous person. Okay. I'm, I'm, that's a joke. Just promise me if you do, don't tell me. If I ever get the abrupt feeling that, oh my gosh, I really want to do a seance, I will have no thoughts whatsoever. And I will just start the seance. Can you have Does a seance? Does that sound like a rational thing? It <laughs> does not sound like a rational Okay, because for a second I thought you were believing me. I would not okay. do that. I was like, that doesn't sound like Daniel, but I don't know, maybe. I do, however, want to buy like haunted paraphernalia. Oh yeah, that's fine. I already said that you could do that. Yeah, I feel like that would be really cool, I'm cool to have with that. in my house. I mean, I've been trying to buy you an Annabelle doll forever. Oh, they're really? So ex- yeah, because you've always wanted them. Yeah. But they're so expensive. They are very expensive. Even if you want to buy, like, a Raggedy Ann doll, yeah. they're so expensive now. There was this really cool Raggedy Ann doll that came in a case. In the case, but wasn't it, like... It was, like, it was, like, $300. Oh, I thought it was, like, 1000 or something. I, I would spend my money on that. I mean, you're getting money now. Yeah, if I can find that again on Amazon, I would definitely, I would definitely buy that. I would, I would be okay with it. Is that an irresponsible purchase? Well, everyone has their hobbies. That's fair. My husband spends so much money on action figures. But like three hundred dollars at one time. Ladies and gentlemen, we have recently had dollars come out of our checking account on action figures that were not in the budget. I'll take that back. So I don't think it's irresponsible. Yeah, okay. I'm definitely going to be spending my money. As long as you have enough money to pay your bills, mm-hmm. still, yeah. like, it's not irresponsible to get stuff that you want. Okay. In my personal mm-hmm. opinion. You guys have may have other opinions. Even but... if it's, like, super expensive. Well, what do you mean super expensive? Like, 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 a thousand dollars. If If you had loose, a loose thousand dollars... And you, you had enough to pay your bills. Do you think it's irresponsible to go out and just spontaneously... No. If you have the money and you have enough to pay the bills, it's not unrational to go and spend the money on stuff that will make you happy. Yeah. Okay. I don't think so. I mean, people spend money to go travel all the time. That's true. Like, everyone spends money in a different way. Mm-hmm. As long as you have enough money at the end of the day to pay the bills and keep a like, roof over your head... Yeah. Then... Who gives a crap what you do with your money? Yeah. In my professional experience. That, that, that's That fair. I have so much of. Anyways, time to continue. As I was saying, the father blamed it on the grief of losing the mother. But in January of 1987, the girls heard the knocking once again. This time they were home alone. And by this point, the knocking was driving the girls to insanity. Oh, but instead of coming from the walls like it has at every time before this, they heard the knocks in the basement. Annie, smart, smart enough, I guess. I want to go into the basement personally. This is what I'm yeah. screaming at the TV. Don't do that. I would throw a match down there. With and just light it on fire? Yeah. Okay, well... I, I would, like, open it up and toss it, you know? What actually happened... Look ...is Annie grabbed a knife from the kitchen. Okay. So she armed herself with one knife. Right. And both her and her sister slowly crept down to the basement. Okay. And in the basement, they found these words written on the wall in something that was blood red. Oh. It read, I'm in your room. Come find me. <gasps> 
absolutely terrifying for a 15-year and a 9-year-old girl to find home alone. No way. Absolutely terrifying. In your... But he was in the basement. That's not fair. Can you just skip floors like that? <laughs> I'm crawl, just telling crawl you. Crawl through the hardwood. I guess. Up a couple up a couple stairs. That's terrible. And then this is the part where I applaud them. Because instead of going up into the, <laughs> the room and looking for this thing, they fled the house. That's good, yeah. So that's when we cheer on. Right, yeah. Uh, they ran to a neighbor's house and called okay, their father good. and waited there for him to return. Okay. Once Brian learned what his daughters had found, he once again <laughs> believed that his no daughters way. were responsible and then put them into counseling to help them deal with the death of their mother. Which, you know, that's a good thing. Yeah, counseling. But good. he put them in counseling because he, they started to deface the house. They started defacing the home mm-hmm. that they live. So that's why he put them into counseling. I mean, that's, like, okay for, like, a breaking point, you know? Yeah. Well, if, if you're going to start vandalizing things, then it's, like, getting really serious. At least he actually made the steps to help them but also how are two little girls what is like six and nine but what were the ages 15 and nine 15 and nine how are they gonna etch into what was it the concrete on the best basement floor oh no it was on the wall in like a blood red like a blood red yes like it was written yes i thought it was etched no written so it was written in like Mm. blood in something blood red that's all it says Hmm. absolutely terrifying so they went into counseling per their father's request. Okay. And several weeks had passed to the point where it was now February or March. There's no specific de- date given when this second occurrence happened. But the knocking came from the walls in Annie's bedroom. Okay. The girls entered the room and once again found a note waiting for them. This time, still in blood red, it said, I'm back. Okay. Find me if you can. The girls again ran to the neighbor's house, which I applaud again. Yeah, right. And they waited for their father to come home after they called him. There would be no shock that Brian once again set the blame on the girls. Okay, Ryan. Brian. Brian. Yes. (laughs) Okay, Brian. Okay. Thanks. it's, It's about time that you start opening up your eyes, all right? Yeah. Okay, but... This time, when he entered the home, in some reports, he entered the home with his daughters. Some reports, he entered alone. Okay. But he entered the home, and he noticed that there was more of a mess than the girls told him that they would be. And it appeared that something or someone had thrown things around while the girls were outside the house waiting for their father to come home. But, like, how could he prove that, though? Well, I guess you can't prove it, but... From what the daughter said, there was no mess. It was just Mm. the writing in the wall. But then when he walked in the front door, the house was destroyed. Pretty much. So, like, there was still a big mess. Yeah. But, like, what would stop him from blaming the mess on his daughters as well? I guess he was probably thinking, well, my daughters haven't lied about something that's happened so far. Like, why Mm. would they make this mess and then not tell me about it? Why would they say it was just the writing? Well, they're still lying because, uh, well, lying in quotations, because they're saying that it was like, uh, it wasn't them. Yeah. So in his mind, I guess they are lying. 
I don't know why, but in all the articles I saw, it said that he believed that someone was in the house now. Or something. Okay. Or he was well, just a little on edge. at least he opened his eyes. At least. Okay. So, at this point, Brian had gone through the house, and he has entered Annie's room. At this point, he is alone when he enters the room. Here he found oh. a message. Oh, no. That wasn't there before. Okay. So, it also said, I'm back. Find me. On the wall, it also said, marry me. Mar- <gasps> it was at this time that Brian was greeted with something much more terrifying. There was something in the room wearing his deceased wife's <gasps> makeup, dress, and blonde wig. Oh my god! There are some reports that it was actually his wife's wedding dress. And most terrifying of the attire, there's a hatchet hanging from the hand of this thing in the room. What? That's when the most terrifying truth came to light. It was not a demon or even a ghost that was tormenting his daughters. It was a person, flesh and blood. Not even a man. It was a young boy. Daniel LaPlante was in his daughter's room with a hatchet. Bruh. So. He probably died, right? I guess we'll get to that. Man, Brian. So. I'm just starting to like you. Brian finally came to see the truth. Right. As, as he should. Now that we've told the story of Annie, we will get back to their story, but I would like to give some background into the story of LaPlante. Okay. So, his childhood was a very troublesome one. LaPlante was born in 1970 in Townsend, Massachusetts. Okay. He suffered abuse on a regular basis from multiple adult figures in his childhood. Okay. Not a great start, again. Not a great start. Kind of like what you always hear in those disturbed people that go on. Serial killer origin stories. So, he was... Reportedly, physically, emotionally, and unfortunately, sexually abused. Uh, We don't have access to as many details about what abuse in, like, particular, or the who the abusers were in his life. But we do know that LaPlante's father held a hatred for this child and did carry out the majority of these acts, unfortunately. That is terrible. Yeah. But in short, major jail time. Yeah, his father should definitely be in jail. Uh, I don't think he ever did. They should have forced him to drink from the fountain of youth, and then stayed in prison for eternity. That seems like a good use of the fountain of youth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, but what else? You know. What else? I what mean, else? That's a good point. Who else wants to... I don't want to live for eternity. I don't want to live forever. It's crazy talk. On the other hand, LaPlante's mother believed he was the most perfect golden child and would defend anything that he did wrong. From a young age, he was pulled like a game of tug of war between the two very different extremes of his parents. One of pure hatred and abuse and one of 
pure love and like an extreme amount where he was on a pedestal and could do nothing wrong. So obviously it was a very confusing childhood that he lived. Right. Going back and forth between those two extremes. So Laplante went on to struggle with school immensely. He was diagnosed with dyslexia at a very, very young age. All the kids in his school thought he was creepy and weird. Okay, yeah, that's terrible. Yes. When Laplante was a teenager, schools became concerned about his behavior and hygiene. He did not take very good care of his body or anything. He would come come to school in dirty clothes and noticeably unshowered. Right. So the school referred him to a a psychiatrist. Okay. And it was here that Laplante was diagnosed with hyperactivity disorder. Unfortunately, CPS. Probably sending your kid to school with dirty clothes. Um, they definitely should have been sent to child protective services. But this was back in nineteen. 80s. That has to be like a clue of some sort. Yeah, but it was like 1970s when he was born, so when he was a teenager, it was like 1980s, barely. And there are no red flags in the 1980s. Apparently not. Um, Unfortunately, while psychiatrists are supposed to help, he did everything but. During a session... His psychiatrist made sexual advances towards towards underage LaPlante and continued to sexually abuse him for the following year. So by the age of 14, uh, he became addicted to pornography. However, this did not give LaPlante enough of a high. He quickly became a small-time thief. He would steal valuables from homes in the Townsend area. Crimes quickly got worse from there. What? Yes. As he built up his confidence of his crimes, his desire for torment also grew. Oh, man. By age 15, Laplante was breaking into these homes, but not only to steal valuables, he's also known to leave behind items and move items around in the home including furniture and daily use items. My personal nightmare, so he could make it clear to the victims that someone had been in their home. What? Wait, wait, so he goes into the home and just moves stuff around? And coincidentally went into a house where two little girls were grieving over their mom's death? And they blamed it on a demon. So they didn't even, like, call the police or anything because they didn't think it was a burglar. He would go into all his victims' houses. Okay, so so did he have, like, multiple victims Multiple victims, but nothing as intense as the story I told you before. Okay. The other victims, he would only enter the house once and then be done. So his desire grew, and he would break into the victims' homes just to play mind games with them. Okay, that's terrible. In 1986... That's kind of fun. I mean, continue. Okay, then. No, it's just like, imagine like going into, like, not like, you know, like threaten them and, oh, come find me in your closet, I'm in your room. But like, imagine going to like 
your best friend's house, right? Okay, but that's different. And, and just scaring them. He didn't them. know these people. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's obviously different. But it would be so funny, and it was kind of be be pretty scary. But it would nice. be so fun to go to your best friend's house and just scare the the bejeebus out of them. <laughs> by moving stuff around okay, their house. Okay, that would be fun, but this is a very different scenario. <laughs> You're right, yeah, yeah. But I would find myself doing that for sure. Me too. Breaking into somebody's house. Into a friend's house. <laughs> into a friend's Let's house. Let's be clear. <laughs> we are not committing crimes. <laughs> we are not. Okay. And we'd probably let, like, other, like, house owners know. We would let... Like other people living in the know, house know, yes. friends know. We would be like, on the we're just going to pull a prank. It's only going to be, like, for this times. If we get the cops called on us, it's going to be really hard for us to explain ourselves out of that one. Yeah, so please so, don't call the cops. It, it, our goal is to not get the cops called on us when breaking into our friend's house. Yes. So we will be telling everyone that she loves <laughs> that she'll be okay. She's okay. It's a prank. Okay, but unfortunately, these are not pranks. In 1986, Laplante decided to take his mind games to a whole new level. Mm-hmm. He was 16 when he found the phone number of a Townsend family. Okay. It is very possible that he had hit this home before when he was just burglarizing his victims. Okay. Laplante had set his eyes on his victims, the Andrews family. He began to call their home. He told the girls that lived there that his friend that goes to school with them gave him their house number. He also lied about who he was, what he looked like. Laplante had told them that he was an athletic, blonde, well-educated boy who, what would you know it, also lived in the area. Right, okay. One of the girls... We're at the age where she was starting to become interested in boys. Okay. So when Laplante proposed going on a date to the local fair after a few calls, she was ecstatic. How old is Laplante right now? At this point, he is 16. Okay. That's not bad. Well, it's bad. Yeah. But. But he's not like. I'm glad he's not like an adult at this point in time. When he proposed going on a date to the local fair, she was ecstatic. When the girl opened the door on the night of their date, she was shocked to see who was on the other side. The boy she saw looked nothing like what he portrayed himself as. So, Dan, I'm going to show you this photo. Oh, no. Of what this man looks like. Oh, no. And I want you to tell me, does he look like a blonde, athletic, well-educated Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, let's see it. So, this is a photo of young Daniel LaPlante. Okay. He doesn't seem blonde to me. <laughs> it looks like brown hair, but it is black and white. So, Laplante does have very dark brown hair. Okay, yeah. And he also has massive sideburns. I feel like you should tell someone about that when uh, asking them out on a date. He also, on the phone with this girl, she told he told her that she he was... A very, very attractive man. He told her that yes. he himself was an attractive... Yes. I mean, look at those sideburns. He's probably He was probably onto something, you know? I disagree. <laughs> you disagree? Those sideburns are strong, man. Okay, well... Stronger than Dr. Phil's hair gel. So, but what would you think if 
you got on a phone with this girl. And she told you that she looked like this. And when you met her in person, she looked like the complete opposite. I would feel catfished. Yeah, she was essentially catfished before it was really a thing. So he was like the OG catfish. I guess, yeah. Despite the obvious lies that LaPlante had told them, she decided to still go to the fair with him. During their date, LaPlante learned, what would you know it, that she had recently lost her mother to cancer. In later, Wait, this is the girl? So, as no. some of you may have found out, the girl that he has been talking on the phone to is Annie from the other story. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. So, once he found out that she had lost her mother to cancer, she reports now that he had a very intense interest regarding the details of her mother's death. Okay. He would question how she felt at the moment her mother died. Oh, my. And was obsessed with knowing the details of the death, including how much her mother suffered. What? Obviously, as anyone would, Annie became very uncomfortable. Right. Their date only lasted an hour before she decided to make an excuse to get out of there. Way to go, man. I know. Like, you blew it. Call it when you see those red flags. Mm-hmm. Well, at least she saw red flags. So after that, she cut contact with LaPlante. No more phone calls, nothing like that. Anyways, that's what she thought. It was unknown to her that the spirit she would come to contact very soon was LaPlante himself. So jumping back to where we left off with uh, Andrew. Brian had just found LaPlante in Annie's room. Right. In his deceased wife's clothing, wig, and makeup. That's terrible. So Brian and LaPlante struggled as LaPlante tried to escape. And LaPlante was able to disappear from sight very quickly. And it didn't make sense. He was there one second and gone the next. Brian couldn't figure out how he disappeared so quickly. So at some point, it's unknown if he called the police or the neighbor, but the police showed up. And during investigation that same night, they discovered the menacing notes that had been written in ketchup. Okay, that's good. Yes. So no animals or anything was harmed. It was ketchup. Right, okay. And then while looking for clues, officers found a hidden crawl space behind a cupboard in Annie's room. Oh my gosh. When officers opened the crawl space, they discovered LaPlante scrunched up inside. Oh my gosh. Once he was removed from the scene, officers conducted a more thorough search of the residence. To their and my own horror, they discover that LaPlante had been living in the walls. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. The crawl space they found him in had been tunneled around other areas of the house. What? This is his house all over again. It is. That's crazy. So, wait, how, his how house do you... or aftermath? No, his house. Oh, his house and aftermath. They both, both had, had people in the walls. Yeah. Yes. How do people even live in walls? I don't understand. So I guess there is a crawl, like, it's an older home, and it has a crawl space, and the walls are thicker apart. Like, in a house like this, the walls are so thin, no one could go through the walls. Crawl spaces are only, like, for the basement, though, right? I don't know. I've never really seen a crawl space. I thought crawl spaces were for, like, floods that would come in, but I don't know. Why would you want that to be in the basement? Because you want it at the bottom of the house, so the the water uh, goes underneath the house. Oh. I'm not sure entirely, but... At least that's what I thought. This is what all the articles described it as, is a crawl space. 
So the crawl space had been tunneled around other areas of the house. Uh, Laplante had created peepholes all around so he could observe and stalk Annie from any room she was in. This is also how he knew where to knock and how he got to one place to another place so quickly. Inside the walls, investigators found mostly garbage, including beer cans and food wrappers. Okay. Among the trash was a sleeping bag and articles of clothing that he had stolen from the family. Oh, man. There are different reports for how long he lived in the walls of this home. It could have been as long as a year, but as short as two months. A year? Yes. And at short two months? Yes. Like, that's, a, that's still a long time. A lot of the, So, in this case, a lot of the articles that I was researching, they all contradicted each other in some way. So, I'm reporting what I came across the most. Mm-hmm. Because in a lot of stories, like I was saying, in one story, the family's name is different. Right. For that, that's someone that's actually writing a book. He's actually in contact with the families that were victims. Okay. Because he knows how much of, like, this has been, like, dramatized. Right. He's actually in contact with all the victims, and he's writing a book from what they say is true. Okay. And that book is actually set to come out in within a year. So, I want to credit his article. I got a lot of my information from him. We'll put the link in the description. If you're interested in this case, definitely check out his website. I think it's just... um, His name's Joe Turner. And so, if you search Joe Turner, and I think the book he's writing is going to be called The Boy in the Walls. But I'm really looking forward to that book. Yeah, me too. And maybe we can do an update episode after I read it. And get some more of, like, the actual facts. Because there's just so much in this case. And I couldn't tell what was real and not real. Yeah, maybe. Like a part two or something. So, after this, Laplante was placed in juvie. Juvie? Um, Yes, because he was a minor. Right, okay. Unfortunately, he only spent, at most, ten months there. Before his case was transferred to the adult court in October of 1987. Okay, wait... Did Laplante kill Brian? No. Okay, so he just ran away. So it is believed in many of the articles that I read that his intent was to potentially kill at least the two girls. Right. And then when the father came home, mm-hmm. it kind of disrupted his plans. Yeah. I bet That's leaving, a belief probably. of some of the articles I read, but he hasn't admitted that that was his plan. I mean, he was holding a hatchet. Yeah, so and he, he had that's a tussle the thing that a lot of articles said. He was holding a hatchet. Right. In her room. And they they tussled. Yeah, they had a struggle. Yeah. And then he disappeared. So I think he realized how strong Brian was or something. Yeah. And decided that he could just hide. Like, no one's found him for so Mm -hmm. long in these crawl spaces. He could just hide it out. Luckily, he was caught. I wonder how they caught him. The police were in there just investigating and they just saw it and opened it up. They just saw the crawl space? So it was a crawl space, like, inside the closet. So you know in Aftermath when the closet opens? Like, that one closet that kept on opening that the dog was barking at? Yeah, yeah. And how it had, like, that crawl space back there. Right, okay. It's kind of like that. It's a closet with that crawl space. Okay, that makes sense. He turned 17 while he was in juvie. Okay. Birthday. (laughs) Happy birthday, dude. Happy birthday, man. So, he was transferred to adult court in October of 1987. And he was being charged with counts of armed assault, breaking and entering, 
a dwelling, larceny, and malicious destruction of property. Okay. Because he was now being charged as an adult, this meant that he could post bail. Oh. Which his loving mother kindly helped him with. Okay. I mean, that's that's her golden child after all. Right, He yeah. can't do anything wrong. So he was awarded bail after his mother paid a reported $10,000. Laplante was then given a court date of December 11th. 1987. Unfortunately, Laplante's time Wait, that's a day before my birthday. That is a day before your birthday. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's a little too much so of a coincidence. I looked up at you to see if you were going to say anything, but then oh, I was like, yeah. nope, I'm It took a moment on. to register, for sure. So yes, a day before your birthday. Same and name, and a day before my birthday was a court date. But uh, this was 1987, so you still had a, a yeah. few years. A, a, a few years apart from that dude. Yes. Sure. Yeah. So you're safe. Unfortunately, Laplante's time served would not help his next victims. In November, just a month after being released on bail, he broke into the home of a neighbor. But this time, he wasn't messing around. He didn't move any furniture like he had in his past crimes. Instead, he entered this home with the intention to steal two handguns from the owners. And he succeeded. On December 1st, only 10 days before he was due back to court, Laplante walked a half a mile from his home to the home of the Gustafsson family, I believe is how you pronounce it. This was a sweet family of four. Priscilla was 33 and was pregnant with the fifth member of their family at the time. She was a church nursery teacher and was dedicated to her faith. She was at home with her five-year-old son, William, while seven-year-old Abigail was still at school. And her husband, 34-year-old Andrew, was at work. Laplante entered their home. Real quick, I do want to give a warning of child harm and other assaults coming up in the next couple minutes. It's not going to be in detail but it is mentioned. So the events that unfolded after he entered the home aren't known 100%, but it is believed that Laplante got Priscilla into her bedroom where he beat and raped her. When he was done with the assault, he put a pillow over her head and pulled the trigger not once, but twice, killing her and her unborn child. He then drowned William in the bathtub upstairs. Oh my gosh. It was at this point that sweet Abigail returned from school and was drowned in the bathtub downstairs. Oh my gosh. She also suffered blunt force trauma to the head and ligature marks on the neck. Probably from when she was trying to run out of the house once she saw him. Andrew found his wife dead when he returned from work that night around 5. He was afraid of what he would find if he kept looking, so he called the police immediately, who then found his two children in the two separate bathtubs. The police found two 22 caliber bullet cases and semen stains on the bed. They also found shoe prints in the flower bed outside their home. So that's the end of the sexual assault and abuse warning. It's very sad. Unsurprisingly, Laplante made the suspect list of the police. The day after the murders, police questioned him, but he claimed that he had been at home watching TV most of the day and attending his six-year-old niece's birthday party. Later that day, police went back to question him further. As they approached the porch he was standing on, he made a bolt for the woods. Obviously, he had something to hide. 
During their search, they found a shirt belonging to him, as well as wet gloves they believe he was wearing when he drowned the children. I want to thank uh, Talk Murder With Me. It's an online blog. They compiled a list of evidence that was found in the home and the woods. At LaPlante's home, there was a 22 caliber bullet casing, which matched the two found in the Gustafsson's home. They found the gun used to shoot Priscilla in his stepfather's glove compartment of his vehicle. A ballistic report will show that the bullet casing found matched the gun. A pair of Converse sneakers, which matched the prints in the flower bed outside of the home, were found in LaPlante's closet. A sock with saliva was found on it, which police believe had been used to gag one of the victims. A necktie, sock, stockings, and panty hose, which had been fashioned to ligatures. One of LaPlante's socks was also found to have fibers, which matched the Gustafsson's home. They found a cordless phone that had been stolen from the victims, and a thumbprint which belonged to LaPlante was identified on their phone. Obviously, a manhunt ensued. Luckily, LaPlante didn't do well with hiding under the radar. Uh, Unfortunately, he did abduct a woman at gunpoint and made her drive him around. Luckily, this woman managed to flee and was able to report this to the police immediately and give a description of the van he had stolen. On December 3rd, LaPlante was found hiding in a dumpster in a nearby town. He was arrested without That's incident. That's where he belongs. Yes. He found his home. He did. He was arrested without incident, but it was reported that he was laughing hysterically for no reason. Okay, that's awful. Yes. So he was charged with the murders of Priscilla, Abigail, and William. He also received charges on crimes he committed while in hiding, and all of these charges were on top of the crimes against the Andrews family. In court, he had the balls to plead not guilty to all charges. His trial began almost a year after his arrest in October of 1988. He was found fit to stand trial by a a psychologist. Good. And his lawyer tried to place reasonable, reasonable doubt that the evidence found could have been left by his father or brother. But the jury came back with a guilty plea within five hours. Good. He was sentenced to three life sentences to be served consecutively. Let's go. In 1993, LaPlante tried to appeal his convention on grounds that the search warrant should not have been granted. He gave no reasons why it shouldn't be granted, but luckily his appeal was denied. But then in 2017, after the Supreme Court ruled that juveniles cannot be sentenced to a life in prison without parole, LaPlante tried to appeal for a reduced sentence. But he's 18 now. But at the times of the crime, he was a minor. He was tried as an adult, but he was a minor when the crimes committed. Okay. He was hoping he could serve his life sentences that he got concurrently instead of consecutively. Despite pleas from the victims to not let the appeal go to trial, he was awarded a new trial. It was in the trial that LaPlante apologized to the Gustafsson family. So I have a little quote of what he said. Okay. Which just does not make i'm not impressed with it is what i'll say yeah so he says words cannot fully capture what i have done i murdered three innocent people because of me a five-year-old boy will never turn six there's a seven-year-old girl that will never turn eight because of me a woman will never be able to give birth to her third child i robbed an unborn child of his first breath a husband was never able to again hear from his families i love you he also said I do not have the words to fully express my profound sorrow, but I am truly sorry for the harm I have caused. 
from the very essence of who I am, from the death of my soul, I am sorry. So despite me almost in tears from reading what he said, he did not say it like that. Those in the audience said that his apology was shallow and insincere. It was obvious that he was just saying what he thought he needed to say. Psychiatrists also insisted that he is a man with no evidence of emotion or feelings. The judge resentenced LaPlante to his original sentence. Good. Thank goodness. LaPlante once again tried to go for early parole in 2019, but he was once again denied. As of right now, he is still in prison. Hopefully, he will rot in there, but he will have an opportunity for parole in 10 years. Okay. I did not end that story on a good note, but right now he's still in prison. The father from the Gustafsson family, he has moved on. He will never forget what happened, but he has remarried and he has a somewhat normal life that you can expect to have after something having terrible happened to you. And before we move on, I would like to talk about Annie and Jessica. Annie has... She has grown to past it, and she no longer tries to let it affect her. Right. As for Jessica, who was only nine when this was happening, she has night terrors and cannot sleep with the lights off. Uh, there's more to their trauma that I believe Joe Turner's book will go into, because he focuses more on those victims, and I would love to do a follow-up episode when he releases his book. So we can get cool. some more of the truth out there. Right. Um, real quick, I just want to state some of the sources I also got it from. I got stor- sources from Talk Murder With Me, Ranker, and Mamma Mia. They're all article sites that had really good articles on this case. And that that's all I got. How did you find this case? Honestly, I was just looking up cases this one came up, and I had heard about it before, actually. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that one's always been interesting to me, but, like, I've never actually done any research into right. it. Right. I've never heard of that before. That yeah. caught me off guard. Can we get a hoorah for Annie's neighbor? Yeah. Now, like, what was the what was the neighbor no thing of all this? Just no arguments. Yeah, you can come into my house. Yeah, he was like, yeah, you come on safe? in. Come I mean, into my house, gonna, call your parents. What are you going to say to little two little girls that run up to your door freaking out? Yeah. No, go to someone else. Right, yeah. But do you think the neighbor was on the dad's side or the kid's side? I, I would think he was on the kid's side. Because yeah? Because he was always like, yeah, use my phone, call your dad. Yeah. Like, I would think he was on the kid's side, like something's happening. Thank thankfully they had a neighbor that was trustworthy enough for them to yeah, go over there. That's true. Yeah. Frick Daniel. Uh not me. That Daniel has um been disowned. From the Daniel genus, the Daniel family, alright? Yeah, yeah. He is no longer a Daniel. He is like a Dan Hell. That's <laughs> that's that's where he deserves to go. Also, raise your kids better. Stop abusing them. 
please. Yes. <laughs> that it, it probably could have been avoided if he had somewhat of a stable childhood. Yes. Um, and if the people that he was sent to get help from actually helped him. That was ridiculous, too. So that made me so that angry. Is Something that could have turned him around, it helped him a lot. Right. And it sent him down an even worse path. It made him worse. Uh, definitely also, if you see something, say something. Absolutely. Though, there's so much things that could have gone better in this case. People could have stood up, stood up from him. Something could have happened. Like, there's nothing that excuses what he did. Right. But there's stuff that could have helped. That could have prevented him from yes. doing it. So, Daniel, do you have a story for us today as well? That was really awkward. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean for it to be awkward. I'm going to be talking about Indrid Cold, otherwise known as Mothman. Have you ever heard of that? I have heard of Mothman. Okay, okay, okay. But I honestly don't remember too much about him, so okay. I will be as surprised as possible. Maybe I'll find some more stories for it, but right now I just have... A series of anecdotes written down and I, I found a, a few things that document it and we're gonna be discussing that right now okay so, I'm here for it as legend has it the flying mothman mortified countless Point Pleasant residents in the late 1960s and when a bridge collapsed the creature was blamed for the deaths of 46 people wait um, <laughs> I'm sorry so there's a moth Man. There's a moth man. Is it the size of a man? He, he, we'll, we'll get into that. Okay. We'll into but, that. uh, so it's a moth and a bridge collapses and everyone blames it on a moth. So th the creature was blamed for a bridge collapse that killed 46 people. How does a creature collapse a bridge? Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. <laughs> like, that, I feel that like was the that was, theory. I think that was the builders of the bridge. Like, we need yeah, a scapegoat. I definitely think so, too. Let's <laughs> let's put it on the Mothman. Oh, yeah. This is the Mothman's fault. Yeah, Absolutely. definitely. Not us. We, we don't didn't make sued. any mistakes whatsoever. We built sue that bridge up to code. <laughs> Go sue Mothman. The, yeah. The Mothman has better lawyers than we do. <laughs> <laughs> Probably does. So basically what people were thinking was the Mothman was discovered in 1966 on November 12th, okay? A year later, the bridge collapsed. And there was like a series of things that were just going really bad in the town. So they just blamed it on the on appearance the of, Moth, of Mothman. Because it, it was just so coincidental that it all just happened in like a year's time, you know? Interesting. So, so, so there definitely could have been something weird going on there. Because they, they saw the Mothman, and then less than a year later, a bridge collapsed, killing 46 people. And there's multiple accounts of people seeing the Mothman. Now, we don't know if the Mothman is real, or if... Here, I'm just going to get into the story. Okay, I'll listen. You ready? Yes. Okay. So... Ready when you are. In... Okay, I have to make sure that this is the one I want to read first. Okay, I will be patient. Let's just blame it on Mothman. Okay, so this is the first sighting. You ready? I am ready. In Clendenin, West Virginia, West, West Virginia. <laughs> it's Massachusetts all over again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. A group of grave diggers working in a cemetery spotted something strange. They glanced up from their work as something huge soared over their heads. It was a massive figure that was moving rapidly from tree to tree. The gravediggers would later describe this figure as a brown human thing. Is Mothman a vigilante? He's like, I'm going to stop this crime oh, yeah. right now. You, know, you like are not the... robbing this grave on yeah, my yeah, watch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, grave diggers, not grave robbers. Oh, I definitely <laughs> thought you said grave robbers. No, my grave bad. diggers. <laughs> <laughs> but but that that comment reminded me of like the old DC, like Batman, like jumping from building to building. Yeah. And they, they look up and they see something dart across. Yeah. They're like, it's That's the probably why I thought you said grave robbers. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just three days after the grave diggers initial report... In nearby Point Pleasant, West Virginia, two couples noticed a white-winged creature, about six or seven feet tall, standing in front of the car that they were all sitting in. Eyewitnesses Roger Scarberry and Steve Mallet told the local paper, the Point Pleasant Register, that the beast had bright red eyes, about six inches apart, a wingspan of ten feet, and the apparent urge to avoid the bright headlights of the car. Wait. Now, now keep in mind, um, the grave diggers saw them first, and then this group found found them a day saw the same creature a day later. Even though the grave diggers account hadn't been re- reported yet. Okay. So but two wait. different groups saw this creature without influence from each other. Uh, did you say that he was avoiding the headlights? Yeah. Aren't moths usually drawn to the light? I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, that, that would make sense. But he, he saw the, the... Maybe it's like a vampire sort of thing. Okay. Where they see the bright light and then they get scared by They're it and scared. they run away. Okay. But it's Mothman because it's like a big dude with wings. giant wings. Okay. Um, which, I mean, I guess it would... I mean, I would stay away from the headlights, too. I yeah. don't want to be seen. I mean, I would, I would too. I wonder if this was... Um, Batman could have been inspired by Mothman or Mothman... No, I think I... Now I have to look this up. We will patiently wait while you you. utilize the interweb. So it says here that the influence of both the killer moth and Batman in the same comic is believed by some to have influenced the coinage of the name Mothman in local newspapers. So that's probably why they didn't name it Batman, because Batman already existed. <laughs> so the, the next best thing, I guess, is a moth. I don't know why they immediately went there, but, you know, we're going to we're gonna. They could have, like, that. gotten Batman, like, killer press by yeah. calling it Batman. Yeah, they could Bat-like figured, spotted yeah. in West Virginia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Batman exists in West Virginia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not in Gotham, guys. <laughs> he, he moved out for the holiday. <laughs> for the holiday. And he was spotted in West Virginia. He, that's where he goes on his holiday breaks. Right, yeah, yeah. So one fun fact about Point Pleasant, West Virginia, they share a border with... Gotham. A town... <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that was... Maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> but they share... I, this is something that I found interesting. They share a border with a, another city called Henderson. Henderson, West Virginia. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So that that's pretty crazy. Because we are based in Henderson. Yes. 
for those wondering why it's interesting that <laughs> there's a city yeah. named Anderson over there. It's got it's got a crazy. There's a bit of correlation there. According to the witnesses, this creature was able to fly at incredible speeds, perhaps as fast as a hundred miles an hour. That is fast. That is very fast. Batman can't do that. Batman can't do that. All of them agreed that the beast was a clumsy runner on the ground. Ah, uh, I think they actually saw me. <laughs> I think that was actually me. They knew this only because it allegedly chased their vehicle to the outskirts of town in the air, then scudded into a nearby field and disappeared. Knowing how absurd this must have sounded in, to the local paper in a small... Uh, I have no idea what that says. In what? a small community in the 1960s, Scarberry insisted that the apparition couldn't have been a figment of his imagination. He assured the paper, if I had seen it while by myself, I wouldn't have said anything, but there were four of us who saw it. And the gravedigger saw it the night before. So we have two, two accounts now of seeing this Mothman-like figure, and they had no influence on each other because they didn't report it to the local paper yet. At first, reporters were skeptical, in the papers, they called the Mothman a bird and a mysterious creature. However, they did print Malay's description. It was like a man with wings. But more and more sightings were reported in the Point Pleasant area over the next year as the legend of the Mothman took shape. But this could have been influenced by the media itself. Yes. The Gettysburg Times reported eight additional sightings in the short span of three days after the first claims. In three days? This included two volunteer firefighters who said they saw a very large a very large bird with large red eyes. Newell Patriot, a resident of Salem, West Virginia, claimed that he saw strange patterns appearing on his telev television screen one night, followed by a mysterious sound just outside of his home. Wait, what does the television have to do with Mothman? I don't know, it's freaky. And then there was sounds outside of something. Oh, so once again, we're blaming Mothman on things yeah, that right. we cannot tie to Mothman. Mothman is just the scapegoat The at scapegoat this point. of the tele television company and the bridge company. So basically, if you have any problems, stop blaming them on politicians. Start blaming we them on Mothman. Mothman, guys. These stupid gas prices are so dang high, <laughs> Mothman. Get your butt in here and fix them. Shining a flashlight toward the direction of the noise, Patridge supposedly witnessed two red eyes resembling bicycle reflectors looking back at him. This anecdote remains a popular one in the Mothman mythos. Mythos? I'm not sure how to say that. Especially since it allegedly led to the disappearance of Patridge's dog. To this day... His dog? So Patridge saw things on, this, on, on his TV. And then he saw... He heard noise outside. And he shined his flashlight out there and all he could see were two bright red eyes staring back at him and a, and a large creature so something took his dog and then his dog was missing this poor puppy i know it's mothman it's crazy <laughs> why, why i don't know Maybe. why couldn't he have taken the human and left the puppy <laughs> i don't know i don't know i don't i, I actually have no idea maybe he wanted a furry companion Okay. Let's assume that he's, he wouldn't eat the dog. I mean, I don't want... I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. I'm going to say that he just wanted a sidekick. Yeah, he like, wanted a sidekick. Batman has Robin. Yeah, Batman... Robin Mothman is basically has... a dog. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> is, that, is that what you're saying? 
Robin is essentially a dog. Is essentially a dog, yes. Well, holy mackerel, Batman. I had to throw that in there. Uh, to this day, some still believe that the fearsome beast took his beloved pet. As a sidekick. As a sidekick. So one scientist instead attributed these sightings to a sandhill crane, which stands almost as tall as the average man and has bright red flesh around its eyes. This is actually inaccurate. The sandhill crane rests around four feet and five inches. And so, that is not an average man. That is, <laughs> that, is that is a short not man. Not an average man. I mean, maybe it was average back then, but these guys were saying like it was seven feet tall. Yeah, that would be almost two of the cranes stacked on top yeah, of each other. These cranes are nowhere near seven feet. Oh, I got it. You know when um in those childhood shows where the when the kids stack on top of each other's shoulders? Oh, and wear a trench coat? And wear a trench coat? Yeah. It's like that, but two cranes on top of each other. Yeah, wearing like feathers. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's worth noting that the Mothman legend bears a resemblance to several demon archetypes found among those who have experienced sleep paralysis. Which may suggest that the visions are nothing more than the embodiment of typical human fears pulled from the depths of the unconscious and and grafted onto real-life animal sightings when people panic. So you're telling me that Mothman could be, like, just a paralysis demon? Like like a sleep paralysis demon. That is absolutely atrocious. Yeah. It's um, it's it's portrayed onto things when people are in a state of panic. So that's that could be a potential um, explanation to what people are actually seeing. I don't think I could go. I I've never encountered an animal, well, a wild animal, to that extent where I am fearful for my right. life. Yeah. But I do not think that I would picture and what was it a crane yeah i don't think i would see a crane, a crane as a mothman i think it was a moth-like figure that was seven feet tall yeah i don't know about that and then there are the paranormal explanations a morass of complicated theories that weave together aliens ufos and precognition these theories paint the mothman as either a harbinger of doom or, more sinisterly, its cause. A legend that has its roots in the tragedy that befell Point Pleasant shortly after the Mothman arrived. This is where we get into the bridge collapse. On December 15th, three days after my birthday, 1967... A few years before. A few years before my birthday. (laughs) Just over a year after the first Mothman sighting, traffic was bad on the Silver Bridge, Originally built in 1928 to connect Point Pleasant, West, Vir- West Virginia to West Virginia to Gallipolis. Okay, so Ohio. that's the that's definitely sorry, that's definitely the bridge. Yeah, <laughs> like it, the it's company. it's an old bridge at this point. It's like it's built in the 1920s. I can't believe a bridge built then is too good. But it is only like 30 years old at this point. Okay, but still, it was built like in the 1920. I think that's the business of the bridge and like the insurance company. Like, you know what? It's not our fault. I think so too. It's It's Mothman. It's just a coincidence that all these bad things happen within the span of a year. The bridge's engineer hadn't been particularly imaginative, 
<laughs> Nor had they been especially cautious when creating this structure. See? Mm-hmm. But that's like the biggest insult ever. They were not. Wait, what did you say? They're not particularly imaginative. I think that's my new insult. <laughs> You're dear. It's okay. You're just not particularly imaginative. We'll get through it. That's my favorite insult now. Yeah. Okay. Um, the bridge is designed, featured very little redundancy, and meaning that if one part failed, there was almost nothing in place to prevent other parts from failing as well. And on that cold December day, that was exactly what happened. Without warning, a single eye bar near the top of the bridge on the Ohio side cracked, and the chain snapped, and the bridge, its careful equilibrium disturbed, fell to pieces. Plunging cars and pedestrians into the icy water of the Ohio River below. 46 people died either by drowning or being crushed by the wreckage. That part I cannot make funny. It's all Mothman's fault. I disagree. (laughs) I think it's completely Mothman's fault. I think it was eating away at the bottom of the bridge and it just became too frail. I think Mothman was just enjoying his flight. Around the city for that year. And he was on vacation. The flight then... crashed into the bridge. <laughs> Not even. And killed 46 people. I think he was just an innocent victim in this all. And he was he's just being used as a scapegoat, guys. That That's what I'm going to make this podcast about. Proof that Mothman is innocent. <laughs> I will prove that Mothman is the cause of all our problems. Okay. Prove it. I dare you. Following the Mothman sightings, the bridge collapse was the second terrible and bizarre thing to point pl- to put Point Pleasant on the map in a year's time. So it didn't take long for some to connect the two. I, I would bet money that it was the bridge. Like, I, I know I've said this a dozen times, but it's definitely the <laughs> engineers of the bridge. They're like... I'll start the rumor that it was Mothman's fault. Yeah. I'll get the I'll get that off my back right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so here are some personal anecdotes from Reddit. This one was by. Okay, I'm gonna butcher these names because Reddit names are just absolutely <laughs> awful. As Colson Burku, that wasn't bad. Ask, Ol, Son, Burke, you. I think each time you try that, it got further from (laughs) what it is. Okay. My husband says he saw this creature when he was in high school. He didn't know about the Mothman and wasn't into anything paranormal. He told me about this 10 years ago when we first started dating. He was skateboarding down the street at night, and he spotted this thing standing in between two buildings. I believe he said one of the two buildings was a church. And he stopped to get a better look. He said it must have been like eight feet tall, had huge black wings and glowing red eyes. It was just standing there, staring, watching. He said he got the major creeps and noped the frick out of there. He's not the type of person to just make stuff up. And this has been the only paranormal thing he's talked about. So I don't have reason to doubt his story. Essentially, he said, yeah, uh, I'm not impressed with what's going on over there. I'm just going to go this way. I mean, obviously, anything can be, like, discredited or anything can be disbelieved. But it's like, 
if you have no knowledge of the Mothman and you see something that is so closely resembled to the Mothman, and even if you see an eight foot tall thing with black wings next to a church, that would not be a good sign for anyone. See, that just furthers my belief that Mothman has to be a good guy. Because why would because he be so close to why would he be going to, to the church? church? <laughs> He's a good guy. Maybe. He's just being blamed for yeah. all this town's problems. What is it? An archangel? What is that? Is that like a, a demon angel or is that like a really good angel? I can't remember. Well, depending on what lore or what uh, show you watch. According to Supernatural. According to Supernatural. Is supernatural. All angels are jerks. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, so they're not a fan of angels. Got it. So all angels except the beloved Castiel. Castiel. Absolutely. Love him, uh, and and we like Lucifer. That's that's a little weird, but we like Lucifer in most occasions. Okay, so here's another anecdote. This one's from What did I see it? Which is kind of um. That is not proper grammar. I think that is myself as a grammar person. <laughs> <laughs> you really nailed it on that one. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that that is a username I would use. <laughs> <laughs> myself as a grammar person. <laughs> oh my gosh. Further proof that I am such a grammar person. Okay. I am new to this subreddit, and I am not sure what to tag this post as. Also, I am using a throwaway because I do not want to be judged by the people By your that... grammar skills. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I do not want to be judged by the people that know me on my main account. So that's why it's called, what did I see it, or whatever. Okay. Or, or did I see it, you know? It almost fit too well. Anyways, let me get to what happened. A few nights ago, after some heavy gaming from about 7 p.m. to 3 a.m., that's a great cow. time. Can you do that? Can you go that many hours? Uh, I could. I can't. I, I definitely have. I, I try to play with Marcus every now and then, and I make it like 20 minutes tops. I think the longest I've made it was like 40 minutes before I like had a mental breakdown. Oh, really? Oh. It was wild. It depends what game I'm playing. Most online games, I can't last very long just because people exhaust me. Would you believe it if I told you that the game was uh, the Super Mario Bros? Super Mario Bros? Oh, that's tough. I wouldn't be able to play that for very long either. I have played... Never mind, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but, uh, my uh, favorite game I'm, is... I'm not going to say it on the podcast, but I've, I've played roblox okay wait oh roblox <laughs> <laughs> like for for like 12 hours straight it's crazy i played roblox i have a one roblox account that someone made me uh create <clears throat> not uh anyone by the name of daniel or anything wasn't it i probably did it but and i think i was on there for a majority of max of like two minutes and I didn't understand it, and I quit real fast. It was when we were young. But I don't know if Roblox counts as one game, because there's like a bunch of different games, and then you can create your own game. I, I jump between the two. There's no I, way I could play one thing for that long. I think you misunderstand. Unless it was like a story game. I didn't make it to one game. I made it to just the place that you go, 
to create the character. I know. I, I, I was just saying because you asked if you can play a game until oh. 7 to 3 a.m. Well, just like anything. Like, I, I mean, I sit at a computer for eight hours of my day. The last thing I want to do is come home and continue that. That's fair. That's fair. I could definitely stay on the computer for eight hours. I've done that before. I do that every day. Yeah. It's just not fun. I mean, yeah, cause if my like bosses ever hear this, no, it I, is wait, chill, wait, so slander, much fun. Slander. Okay, that's good. That's good. What did you think I was going to say? <laughs> if my boss ever hears this. It is so much fun. No, but it is pretty fun, actually. I enjoy my job immensely. I decided it was time to go to sleep. About 3 a.m., you decided that. That's a, Oh, that's I, thought a you, I thought you were saying it's <laughs> no. time to go to sleep. Yeah, it's time for me to head out. No, this is almost over. That was a very polite way of telling me to get out. <laughs> get the frick out of my room. <laughs> okay. And then I call, and then I told my sleep paralysis demon, "Get out of my room, Rachel." <laughs> I want I want there to be reports of a sleep paralysis demon named Rachel now. <laughs> Put it in the history books. Okay. Um so I figured I should go and let my dogs out real quick before I went to sleep. I walked down the stairs and I immediately felt a sense of dread slash fear or an impending sense of doom. That's not great. I ignored it and opened the door to the porch and called and called the dogs out. I and, hate that. I felt the se- sense of dro- gosh English. I felt a sense of doom, but I decided to ignore it and I said, eh, yeah. This is the only life I got. Why why be safe? <laughs> I gotta let my dogs out. I might sense it, but my dogs didn't ask. They want out. Now I live in a residential area and I do not have a fence, so we have two dogs. We have two dog runs for Scout and Dory, two corgis that tend to run off. And then we have a lady, a golden retriever, who does not run off. Anyways, the dog runs. I don't even know what the dog runs are, but it's like, it's probably like leads or something, right? I have no idea. I've never they're, heard of they're dog saying runs. dog runs as in like a noun. I'm I'm assuming it's like leashes or something like that. Probably. Dog runs are hooked to the porch and occasionally blow off in in the wind into the yard. This has happened to the one on the left, so I would have to go over to the gate we had at the end of our small porch into the pitch black yard and grab it. I was already feeling sort of scared, so I cautiously went to go grab it. I was pulling it back when Dory barks once and very loud. It almost made me jump out of my skin. I looked behind me towards the trees. Behind the trees, we have a fence. On that fence, I saw something perched on it, like sitting down and holding onto it. It it looks as if it sort of had wings, but I ran back to the porch when I saw it. Once I looked back, I saw nothing. So it flew away in that second that it took him to go back to the porch mm-hmm. i'd be terrified that i would turn around and it was behind me oh know? yeah after that i noticed that large amounts of bugs especially beetles and moths began flying around the porch lights because it's moth yeah did you see beetles beetles and moths 
I hate beetles. I left the door open to the house when one of my cats named Socks. Man, you have a lot of pets. Yeah. And I love Socks. Walked out, rubbed my leg, and meowed. After that, that, the moths began to slowly disappear. After I had finished letting the dogs out, I ran upstairs to my computer and took to Google when I found out that Point Pleasant, West Virginia, was just a few hours from where I live. Had, pe- had people claiming to see something similar. I am thoroughly creeped out. Has anyone else encountered this? I don't know if I'm asking in the right place, but if anyone has more info, please do share it. I'm starting to think I was just hallucinate- hallucinating because I was tired. I was going to say, because I thought he was going to say because I was on drugs or something. So this is a reply he got. This is the last anecdote that I could find. One night, several years ago, I was making my way to a cabin I had rented on the Coral River in Texas. I had gotten a late start, and it had gotten dark on me about the time I was having to traverse and traverse through these small, narrow, heavily treed country roads. Sorry. Some of these anecdotes are not written correctly. And it's like, I, I read it, it's like, that makes no sense. And then I have to rephrase it for them. Have they taken the crown of the incorrect grammar? I think so. But I don't want to throw people under the dirt, so I'm probably not. Okay. This guy's name is Majestic Park. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, just take that <laughs> and ignore what I just said. It was a beautiful summer night, and I had my dog with me, so I had the windows rolled down so he could stick his head out and sniff the country air. Aww. Yeah. Little pupper. And then he died. Daniel, just kidding. Just you kidding. You cannot joke about just that. Just kidding. Just Frankie, kidding. I need my emotional support animal. Um, I don't like what Daniel's talking about. I rounded a small bend in the road when all of a sudden my dog started. What I call scream barking. Oh, absolutely not. Turn around that, immediately. Do not collect go. That is the bark he makes when he feels like the sh- is about to hit the fan. Sh- as in crap. I don't know if I... I, I got that. that. I slowed and looked in the direction he was looking. I saw this bird standing not 15 feet off the side of the road. It was brownish black, and that son of a gun was a good... Three to three and a half feet tall. Oh gosh, that's a lot shorter than all the other ones. In the glow of my headlights. Yeah, maybe. I slowed to a stop and immediately rolled off, rolled up all the windows while my dog was having a fit. The thing I, the thing just stood there for a few seconds and then took off. Even with the car windows up. I could hear the swoop, swoop, swoop of its wings. Absolutely not. The wingspan upon its launch looked a good six to seven feet wide, if not more. I have lived in Texas all my life and am familiar with all of our native birds, but I have never before or after that seen a bird like that. I have no idea what it was, but it didn't have red red eyes. It had a green eye shine. My dog was fricked up over it even after we got to the cabin and didn't want to get out of the car. Okay, your first mistake is I wouldn't have continued to the cabin. Yeah. I would not have stayed where that thing was. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I guess at this point, if I saw a three-foot 
bird, I would still be kind of scared, especially if you have the seven foot wingspan and yeah. you can hear it when your car windows are up. That thing's scary. <laughs> Looking back at you with glowing green eyes, even if that's not a mothman, I would be, I would be scared of a big bird like that. Even Me if too. I saw like a vulture. I've never seen a vulture in the wild, but if I saw a vulture really close to me, I was three I would, feet tall. Yeah, I, I would be, I would be terrified. I would be like, okay, that's enough nature for today. So maybe it's just that birds kind of are scary sometimes, and you don't see a lot of big birds in the wild. And maybe for maybe the Mothman was just sightings of really big birds and people haven't seen big birds like that before so their panic and their fear makes it seem a lot more dangerous and a lot more bombastic than it really is you know um not to talk about supernatural again but there's an episode about a ghost house and it's more of someone created it like they went into the house and they were like trying to scare their friends so they put like a bunch of symbols on the wall oh and some that's of them, terrible but some of them were actual symbols oh and really one of them uh when you fed fear like if enough people feared that one thing it yeah. changed what it was oh. so like one day it would be like a ghost who killed his family and it yeah. was scared of this and then the next day it would be a ghost that wasn't scared scared of anything and it was immune to everything and just whatever everyone believed is what it was oh okay so kind of like um like the boggarts from harry potter <laughs> the things that change into your deepest fear <laughs> uh, basically, like that. basically yeah basically but it's like a like a group belief thing yeah, it has to be a group belief right you know, it's kind of funny because I could definitely see myself doing that. Just like writing symbols as a joke and then accidentally summoning something. Summoning evil. something that's legit. See, this is why you can't have a Ouija board. That, that's something that I could do. Yeah, this is exactly With why. like a paper and a pen. No. Do you have a paper and a pen I can borrow? I actually don't believe in paper nor pen no more. Oh, I have uh, disposed of all of them in a bonfire. Yeah, she burnt all our paper. Now we have nothing. Do you have a pen? I'll bring one from work. No. I'll see you tomorrow. How about you do that <laughs> at work? At work? Yes. You want me to do that at daycare with all those kids? Better than here. <laughs> you are you are a monster. Demons love kids. You know, I'm not impressed with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not impressed with you bringing a Ouija board into my home. Okay. I guess I won't do it. But symbols might be might be a common. Just no symbols that will bring a demon into my home, please. Okay, I'll try. Try real hard. Because if I go down, you're going down. <laughs>